The reading for today is Exodus 7, 14 through 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that has turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Good morning, church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. As you can hear, my voice is not cooperating today. So um, that's a blessing from me that you guys have to endure today. So you're welcome. Um, But so you're going to have to work a little harder to stay engaged today, okay? Because I'm not going to have the same gravitas that I normally have, okay? All right. Man, what a a bittersweet way to start the day. Um, As a staff, we all found out uh, on Tuesday, and so we've all been struggling and and dealing with this as well with with the news about Cody and his family. Uh, We're going to obviously miss having them around so much. And here's what God's been encouraging me, if this is an encouragement for you. Um, Jesus is faithful, first of all. And one of the promises that Jesus gave to us, the church, is that he will build the church. Right, so we can lean on that in times like this and we can trust God is at work, he's building the church, okay, as hard and bittersweet as that is. So um, we're glad you're here at Redemption Church. Um, like Steve said, we are one church in nine local congregations and what we do is we go verse by verse and book by book, that's, that's what we do. And as we've gone through Exodus, one of the goals, one of the things we're trying to do is go through a book as large as Exodus in 15 weeks, which means on days like today, we've got almost four chapters to get through. And so, as much as it kills me, I'm not going to be able to read every single verse. Otherwise, that would be all of it and we would go, which maybe wouldn't be the worst thing. So we're going to kind of zoom and fly by, and I'm going, to, I'm going to fill in the narrative, and we're going to zoom in, and we're going to try to mine out a few of the gems in this story. And so what we found in the book of Exodus in general, you've heard us talk about this, is that this story is a story of God making himself known for who he is and for who he's not. And so the, the question for us today, right off the bat, is who is God to you? Who is God to you? Has that been challenged in our series so far? Because it might be challenged as we talk through the plagues today. Is he a father to you? Is he nice? Is he a judge? Or is he inconsequential? Is he non-existent to you? The phrase, so that you may know that I am the Lord, or by this you know, by this you will know that I am the Lord, appears often in this book and five times in just our passage today. And so we've got a slide up on the screen here of some of the passages, and our our text kicks off in 714, so that first one doesn't technically count, but just give it to me, okay? So six of them um, is all of these ways that God is saying, by this you will know that I am the Lord, and we're going to read through some of those. So 
The first question is, if God wants to be known, don't the plagues seem like a weird way to do that? Don't the plagues seem like a strange way for God to make himself known? Well, the plague narrative is at the same time a vital part of the Exodus story and it's one of the most difficult parts to understand. But did you know, church, that each and every plague is a specific attack against the gods of the Egyptian people? He's undoing the oppressive rule of a wicked dictator's kingdom of Egypt. There's a design in all of this. God's not doing this because he gets some sort of sick enjoyment out of watching people suffer under the plagues. Remember, that's not who God is. Remember why he's doing this. Back in Genesis 12, verse 3, this is what God says to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will what? Curse. And in you, this is what God's doing, this is his mission, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God's doing here. He's keeping his promise. There's a structure, there's three parts, there's a beginning, middle, end. There's purpose in all these plagues. Each one, in this sense, is a demonstration of his power. And so, you could think of the plagues as missional. They're an act of revelation. Their aim is that God's name is proclaimed in all the earth. The plague story is a showdown, an epic showdown between this man, Pharaoh, and everything he represents, and God's power demonstrated to, through two 80-something-year-olds. God's turning Pharaoh's evil kingdom back on itself to accomplish his will. And really, when you think of it all together like that, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful way for God to display his character through this story. And one author and commentator, Tim Chester, says this, and then we'll get going here. Underlying this story is Pharaoh's question. Remember from last week. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Why should I let God meddle in my affairs? Why should I let someone else have the final say in my life? Is this sounding familiar? And Christians are not immune. We try to limit our obedience Instead of throwing ourselves, body and soul, into God's service, we limit what we do. What's the least I can get away with here? How far do I really have to go? Here's how he ends it. So why should we obey? That's the question answered by the ten plagues. You see, this story isn't just about frogs and locusts that happened a thousand years ago to a people we don't know that much about. This story is about us. It's applicable today. So how? Firstly, do you really know this God of the Hebrew people? And next, why, why should we obey? Why should we obey this God of the Hebrew people? Does he really get a say in my life? That's the questions answered by the plague story. So plagues one and two, Exodus seven, everything kicks off here in 714. So what I want you to notice first, there's a pattern to these first two. The Lord speaks to Moses. Pharaoh's given a warning. He ignores that warning. God brings judgment in the form of that plague. First of all, the water into blood. Uh, Think about the Nile River turning into blood. Not just the Nile River, but it says everything that holds water, all the vessels and pots, everything where you store water is now storing blood instead. 
Then, what we'll see in the second one is that the frogs come up out of the water and they cover everything. And then, we're going to talk about this, but there are these magicians in the story, in the first two, that, quote, do the same. It's mind-blowing. We're going to talk about that one. And then, lastly, people are left to sit with the consequences of that plague. So we're going to jump in and and cherry-pick a few items out of here. So first, notice, as you read this, God's incredible, undeserved grace. This is who God is. The numerous chances he given first. Each one starts with a warning. This warning is a chance for Pharaoh to take God seriously and change his heart. But what does he do instead? He hardens his heart. You'll notice that there's time that passes in between the plagues too. This too is a means of grace for Pharaoh. Sometimes we read these plagues, right? And we read, okay, plague one, plague two, plague three, and it seems like it happens next day, next day, next day. So sometimes there's a week between the plagues. Sometimes, clearly, there's months between the plagues. And each one of those we can think of as a means of grace. Look at chapter 7, verse 25. How much time passed? How much time passed after the Lord struck the Nile? Come on now. Seven days. Seven days with the reality of their source of life being turned into blood. All the fish die. Imagine the smell. I mean, this is, this is real. And now out of all the plagues we read about, why does it start with these two? Why does it start with these two? That the river is the source of the first one. There were many Egyptian gods associated with the river in its different parts. There was a god over the silt in the river, the fish in the river. The river itself was worshipped. They, they believed it was the provider of everything they needed, that source of vitality and fertility and life. But now what's it a source of? Death and stench. Do you see what God's doing here? He's beginning the work of systematically undoing those false gods, showing that he's greater. He's the one that should be worshipped, not, not creation. He's the one who created the Nile and everything in it. Let's read Exodus 8, 3 through 4. Let's read about the second plague, the frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs. Doesn't sound so bad. Frogs are kind of cute, right? That shall come up into your house. Less, less cute there. And into your bedroom and onto your bed. Now, I'm, I'm against this now. And into the houses... <laughs> into the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. This would be my wife's worst nightmare. Worst nightmare. Okay, imagine where these frogs are coming from. It doesn't say that the Nile was turned back into water. It just says seven days after God turned it into blood, then the frogs come out. Think of the water they're coming out of, okay? They're coming into your kitchen onto your clean bowls, okay? Onto your clean silverware. Not not a pretty picture. Verse four. The frog shall come up on you, Pharaoh, and on your people and on your servants. These are not nice, cute little frogs. These are nasty, aggressive little guys, okay? Nasty, aggressive little guys. Did you know that the Egyptians had a fertility goddess with the head of a frog? And now, how are the people being forced to treat the image of this goddess? It's, they're, they're being stepped on. Killed, shooed out of the house, thrown out, shaken off the people, kicked and cursed at. 
Now, I'm not being intentionally grotesque with all of these, but these, this is a severe judgment. This is a horrible reality. And remember, God is systematically unworking those oppressive beliefs. Church, our God is a God who works to systematically undo oppressive beliefs and systems. And think of Moses standing there as God uses Aaron to turn the Nile into blood. This is the Nile that carried Moses to safety as an infant. Maybe, maybe they're talking to Pharaoh on the same spot where that happened, where he was found, but this is where he played growing up, playing in the river, growing up in Pharaoh's palace. Moses must have been horrified to see the reality here. This was an attack on their lifestyle, their economic security, and their senses. The river stank with the rotting fish and blood when God removed, removed the plague of the frogs. They just died where they were. So it says the people just piled them up because they didn't know what else to do. So now the land stinks, the river stinks. All their gods of the water and the land are nothing now. They're a plague, they're a stench. Now I want to focus on one more thing. It's in chapter 7, verse 22. It's also, since we're already in chapter 8, it's in chapter 8, verse 7. Let's read that. But the magicians, what? They did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Okay, they did the same. As if this story isn't hard enough to understand um, and believe. Now, I don't think this was one of Houdini's tricks. I don't think this is very common. I've never seen anything like this. I've never heard of this being done as like a, a trick magician thing. But church, remember where we are. Remember where we are. The spiritual forces in our culture, in our context, are not openly talked about. They're swept under the rug. They're excused away. They're pushed aside. But spend any time in a country like Haiti, and you'll see and experience the spiritual reality in a, in a completely different way. Their forces of, of secret arts and dark magic and voodoo are, are reality there in a way we can't imagine We need to open our eyes. No one in Haiti would read this passage and even blink. Oh yeah, the magicians were able to do the same thing by their dark arts. Yeah, I get that. The meaning, the reality of that would have been obvious to to them. And also, church, remember, we can't take part of this story and remove it. Either it's true and God literally turned water into blood for seven days in the river and all their pots and jars or not. And if this story is true, as hard as it is, we have to accept that the magicians were able to do the same thing as well. Now, clearly, it wasn't quite the same. Uh, They couldn't remove the plague. They couldn't change the blood back into water or send all the frogs back into the water. And remember, they're doing this to show their power, but God is doing it to show his power. And we're going to see in the next plague how far the magicians can, can hold up against God. Let's read Exodus eight sixteen through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. There's like a cinematic quality to that, right? You can almost see it in slow motion. So that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. Listen to this. The magicians tried 
by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The Egyptian gods of the land had been turned upside down and used against them. The sand that they used to build has now taken flight and become an extreme nuisance for man and beast. God showing he commands the land. And look what happens to the magicians. They see it, they try it, but they can't do it. And what do they say? This is the finger of God. Yeah, this is above our pay grade here. Even they recognize God's power in this moment. And so the question is, well, why? Why could they do the first two but they couldn't do the third one. What's, what's different about that? Why couldn't they replicate that one? Well, Jewish scholars often have a lot more to say on stuff like this. So a Jewish scholar and commentator explained that the difference here is that God created life from nothing with this plague, the third one. That the magicians can manipulate God's creation They can turn water into blood. They can call frogs out of the water. But here they fail because only Yahweh can create out of nothing. Isn't that fascinating? God is unique. He's holy, powerful. He's more worthy of their worship than these false gods. Plagues four and five, the flies and the livestock. Now, I'm gonna summarize here as much as it kills me again, but I want to draw out a couple of things as we go. And then again, hopefully you'll be able to read this on your own. In verse 20 of chapter eight, Moses meets Pharaoh again at the river in the morning. Similar pattern here after who knows how long really. Pharaoh must have been so frustrated again because he knows what's going to happen, right? Moses is there, thus says the Lord. Pharaoh's like, I know what's coming. It's not going to be good. There was a warning again for Pharaoh, for the flies and for the plague and the livestock. If you don't let my people go, flies are going to cover everything. It's going to be a plague that'll kill all your livestock. It's going to be bad. All the frogs are dead, so they can't even help with the flies on this one. And now here's what's unique with the flies and the, and the livestock plagues. Not a single fly touches the land where God's people are staying. Not a single one of their livestock is affected at all by the plague that's killing every one of Pharaoh's livestock. So that Pharaoh may know that the Lord has done this. It's the God of the Hebrew people that's doing this and providing. So Pharaoh bargains. God this whole time has been saying, let my people go that they may serve me. Pharaoh starts saying, well, they can go sacrifice to you, sure, but maybe they ought to come back and we ought to keep doing our thing here. So uh, he he begs Moses. He says, plead to God for me. And so Moses does. God removes every fly. And as soon as Pharaoh saw that they were gone, guess what he did? He hardened his heart again. Even though he could see that not a single one of their livestock died, he still hardened his own heart. This is a wicked, evil, hard-hearted guy, and God knows it. Pharaoh's people are suffering This livestock plague would have been devastating. Now think of this, their shrines and statues to the bullheaded gods of fertility and love and power. They're still standing everywhere in the city, but now what are they standing next to? Rotting livestock, dead livestock with the same image, dead, rotting before them. But Pharaoh doesn't care. Guys, this is what a hard heart does. 
at a certain point, there's nothing anyone can say or do to change the trajectory. And God knows there's no hope for Pharaoh because of his choices. Each plague was an invitation into repentance, into softening his heart. Church, is this any of you today? Has God been speaking to you, asking you to do something, giving you chance after chance, and instead of softening your heart towards him, you're hardening your heart? What does it take for Pharaoh to change? What does it take for you to see and believe and obey and to know God? Plague number six, the boils starts in chapter nine, verse eight. So without warning this time, God caused these boils to break out on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt, including Pharaoh, who was himself viewed as a God, now covered in the same boils just like everybody else. And this is another horrible reality to imagine, Um, but it's easier to picture because we kind of know what boils look like, I think, but at least we've all seen Dr. Pimple Popper, right? It's a horrible, horrible show. Um, But she would have gone to town on the Egyptian people, okay? Business would have been good for Dr. Pimple Popper, okay? But this this would have affected their cleanliness, on their ability to even worship their gods at all. And this was painful. They can't walk, they can't sit, they can't lay down without discomfort. Now what's interesting with this plague and what a lot of people struggle with and have struggled with ever since this story was written is in verse 12. Let's read that together. Exodus 9, verse 12. But this time, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. This is the first time we see that the Lord has hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now this is something we need to talk about because I know a lot of people might struggle here. Why would God do this? Why would he harden Pharaoh's heart? Why wouldn't he give him more chances to turn? Really the implication, what we're really asking is when do I run out of chances to turn? This is a hard question. This is a hard idea to wrestle with because um, there are all sorts of questions that it brings up. This is a can of worms. So what I'll say for the sake of time and pulling out other important ideas from the text today, this is going to be a skim over this idea, okay? So if you want to go deeper into what this means, I encourage you to wrestle with it first before God in prayer. Read it. Think about it. Study it. And then in community, talk about with your community group. Um, But of course, we're available too as pastors to talk with you and help you discuss the deeper things going on here. So I'm going to try to answer this in two parts. First, the Bible itself helps us with this. It helps give an answer. If we look in Romans 9, you can turn there now if you'd like. Romans 9, starting in verse 14. I'm going to turn there as well. So first, church, we have to remember who God is and what he's been doing in this story. Keep the big picture in mind. And this will help too. Let's read Romans 9, 14 through 20. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God unjust? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. 
For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I've raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills. And he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault at all? Then for who can resist his will? And then listen to this in verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? This is, a, this is a hard answer to a hard question. Do you see what Paul's doing here? Paul is saying we don't get to let our opinions of God and who he is and what we think he's like, that doesn't define who God is. Human opinion counts for nothing in defining God. We don't get to do that. Only God can do that. God says, I am that I am. And listen, church, I say this with with humility and gentleness because I'm there with you. But if your opinion of God doesn't line up or doesn't make sense with what he's doing here in this story, then brother, sister, the, the answer is not to write off God as something he's not. The answer is that you may not know God. Your opinion of God may be off. He might not be who you think he is. God gets to say who he is. And what he does. So the first answer is to remember that God is God. He does what he wills. But if we stop there, what do we have? We have a view of God as kind of a monster. So this is where we need to remember God's time-tested and proven character. And so the second part of the answer to this question of how could God harden Pharaoh's heart is this. Remember, God's given Pharaoh Chance after chance, grace after grace. There have been five plagues before this. He's not going to change. But is this God's evil or Pharaoh's evil? It's Pharaoh's, right? God's not responsible for his human evil. He has not pre-programmed Pharaoh's evil heart and his inevitability toward facing judgment. Pharaoh's heart is hard. And God's not coercing him into making poor decisions he might not have otherwise made. End up thinking that is is to miss what we've read so far of who God's revealing himself to be. We have to walk carefully, but remember, he's a God of grace and redemption, but he's also just. And this is hard. This is hard. So here it is. God, in his sovereignty, with chance after chance and warning after warning, allows and ensures. That's the hard part right there that Pharaoh's heart remains hard, turning his evil back on itself and in so doing, ensuring that this road will lead towards his purposes. So in summary, God is hardening Pharaoh's already hard heart to ensure and make certain that his path towards his own destruction and towards God's greater purposes in the world. That's what's happening here. Plague number seven, hail. So God warns Pharaoh that, you know what, hail is coming. And this isn't going to be that cute little hail that's fun to run outside in and it, oh, it stings a little bit. No, this is the killing kind of hail. Um, and in this plague, we're going to see the key to understanding these plagues because one common question we get is why does God do it this way? Why not just do one mega plague or, or one that you know will really, really work? Let's just do that one. And really what we're asking is, why does God do things the way that he does? And so we're going to read Exodus 9, 13 through 17. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that, here it is again, so that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, God says, by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I've raised you up, Pharaoh. The reason that you're in this throne and in this position of power is because I have put you there so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. So the answer to this couldn't be more clear here. God says, I could have hit you with a disease that would have wiped you from the face of the earth and been done with it. But that's not why you're in the position you're in, Pharaoh. You're not God, I am. This is what God's doing. Plague number eight, the locusts. Says locusts are gonna come like you've never seen and will never be again. Anyone seen that Planet Earth episode with the locusts? It's amazing. It's the, the, the size, the magnitude of those swarms is incredible and the devastation they leave. There's like nothing green when they leave. Um, so they're gonna come and they're gonna devastate the crops. Even the ones on the ground that were destroyed by the hail, these locusts are going to come and destroy. And they're going to eat every single plant that's left after the hill. And so what have the Egyptians lost so far? Let's remember, they've lost all their livestock, gone. All their crops, their entire way of life is ruined. Egypt is ruined. And Pharaoh's servants know. Look at chapter 10, verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, maybe. Let the guys go off. Maybe that'll help. That they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand, Pharaoh, that Egypt is ruined? There's a kind of madness to Pharaoh's actions. Even his people are trying to reason with his insanity. What's it take? What does it take? So Pharaoh's bargaining here. He's saying, maybe we can just let the guys go. Pharaoh says, all right, who, who's gonna go? Who's gonna go? And Moses' answer shows that he's growing a little more confident in God. It only took until the eighth plague for him to start to become a little more confident. Okay, so Pharaoh says, look at verse nine. Pharaoh says, which ones are gonna go? Verse nine, Moses says, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. He says, everybody's gonna go. We're all going. Pharaoh says, no, you're crazy. This isn't happening. So the Lord brings the locusts, completing their economic devastation. And Pharaoh admits his sin again, pleads with Moses. God removes every single locust and the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Again, he does not let the people of Israel go. Our last one, plague nine, darkness. Exodus 10, 21 through 23 is what we'll read. 21 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven. There was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. 
but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Now, this one doesn't sound so bad at first. My kids know I love the dark. Um, I love working in the dark. There's something comforting and like quiet about just sitting in the dark. But if it's, if it's like early in the morning and I'm studying, I'll leave the lights off. I think it's, it's, it's cozy. But I enjoy coming home if it's in the evening to a dark house. Is that, is that weird? See, I knew you guys are going to say that. I knew there's something weird about that guy. I knew there was something weird. First, the tattoos, then he, he's riding around on a motorcycle. He likes metal music. Look, I get it. I'm super edgy, okay? I'm an intimidating, <laughs> like just edgy guy, okay? But you know what? You guys are stuck with me. It's too late. But I have to remember, this isn't that kind of comforting darkness. This is, this is the darkness, like it says, that can be felt. That terror-inducing darkness. No matter how many times you strike the flint to light the lamp, all you see is utter darkness inside, outside, everywhere. This would have been terrifying. Now, a lot of people know about the Egyptian sun god, right? Ra. So he was thought to sail through with the morning in a ship through the celestial sea, rising victorious every morning. Well, Pharaoh, where is your sun god now? Where's Ra now? Where is his victory now? It's the Lord's. God's proven mightier than him and that the sun answers to Yahweh, our God. Exodus 28 and 29. Then Pharaoh, after this plague, Pharaoh says to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. And here is the saddest part of the story. The tragedy here is that Moses is Pharaoh's only hope. The one he's sending away, that God is Pharaoh's only hope. And he's pushing them both away. And this is God's judgment, to give Pharaoh what he wants. But in so doing, Pharaoh's removing from himself any hope. The tragedy is that many of these plagues we see now existed already in Pharaoh's heart. Long before this began impacting his people, the darkness was already there. The sickness, the stench, and death was there all along. And so if Exodus and the plagues are a story of God revealing who he is, then let's summarize. What does this teach us about who God is? We know God is making himself known that he opposes the proud and exalts the humble. We see this in James 4, and it's just dripping all over this story. Next, that God is for his people and against their oppression. We know that God keeps his promises. Remember Genesis 12, 3. We know that God is a redeemer. He demanded nothing less than total redemption for his people, We know that God is sovereign. Remember what we studied in in Romans 9, that he is God and we are not. God says, I am that I am. We know that God works out evil for his good. And last, we know that God is unique. He's more powerful than any of the Egyptian gods. The creation bows to his will. And here's the hope for you and me. God's going to have mercy on whom he has mercy. He's going to harden the hearts of whomever he's going to harden. 
He's going to have compassion on whomever he's going to have compassion. But he has had mercy and compassion on us. In Jesus. Our hope that is, is that in Jesus, God's wrath is turned away. His severe justice is satiated. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that's our hope. Now think through this. Even in that, even in Christ on the cross, there were two men next to him. Remember, they were hardened criminals. One mocked Jesus. He hardened his heart, mocked Jesus. The other one softened his heart and said, don't, don't ridicule this man. He's done nothing wrong. Jesus, will you remember me in your kingdom? And God says, today, you'll be with me. You see, in Jesus, God did give one giant plague that brought redemption for all. That's what the cross was. It was a thousand plagues. They were all endured by Jesus at once. The darkness came. The sin was absorbed. The earth shook. Water and blood poured out. And in this way, the horror of the plagues leave us with hope. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't placed all areas of your life at the feet of Jesus as Lord and Savior, now's the time. Maybe your idea of God was challenged today. But church, God wants to be known as he is by you. One last quote from Tim Chester to help us wrap up here. Pharaoh is a case study in the deceit of sin. It's like a slow motion car crash that allows us to see the tragedy unfold. We want to step in and make it stop. But in the real time action of our own lives, we ourselves too often get caught up in the insanity of sin. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be what? Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The hardening of our own hearts overthrows reason. We find excuses for our sinful and proud desires. We find reasons for doing whatever we want to do. When it all unravels, we wade farther into sin rather than accepting our terrible mistake and backing away from it. By nature, we go on deeper and deeper. That's what Pharaoh did. This is why we need others to come alongside us and encourage us to fight sin and expose for us the deceit of sin when we cannot see it for ourselves. This is not just about you conquering your own hardness of heart. This is also about your neighbor to come alongside and encourage Christ and fight sin together. And the answer is not to do it in your own strength, to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, try harder, that's the answer. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel says come forward, take communion, repent where you need to repent. Listen to that still, small voice. Don't harden your hearts any longer against it, but turn from it. Turn from sin right now and turn back towards Jesus. Let's pray. God, protect us from hearts like Pharaoh that are hard, that when we're confronted, we push farther in instead of, instead of coming forward to you, Jesus. We do this so often. 
That's why it's so important that we gather together and weekly take communion, repent, turn back towards you, Jesus. Help us to take our sin seriously. Strength in this moment looks like dependence in weakness on Jesus. The true weakness really is is to ignore this, to be confronted and challenged by these things and then to walk away and forget and move on. But in that weakness, God, give us the strength to move forward and to fight sin in our hearts and in our neighbor's hearts, God, that we might be a faithful church following you. That the story of Pharaoh would um, be a reminder to us of the seriousness of sin. Nobody knows our hearts better than you, God, so Holy Spirit be at work in us, drawing us back to Jesus, exposing sin, Thank you for who you are, who you've shown yourself to be in this story today. In Jesus' name, amen.